What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, episode 193. We're getting closer to 200. It's Thursday, June 29th. Uh, I, I gotta be honest, we took last week off. I could tell you why, but it'd be a HIPAA violation. I can't uh, ex- express everything. Ryan was on vacation last week. I'll blame him. Uh, Ryan Chapman, he's over in Moore. He's got a new apartment in Moore. He's showing off for the uh, crowd. Welcome in, Ryan. Yeah, you guys get to see, you know, the very back wall of my living room. So congratulations. You've, you've gone from the back wall of a, a corner room to the back wall of the living room. And yeah, I, I can uh, lay on the grenade for the pod last week. I was supposed to be back on Tuesday, but once South Florida gets its hooks in you, John, it does not want to uh, let you back out. So uh, it, it got bumped back a day, all that stuff. I was actually supposed to be back Monday, got back like Tuesday. It, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. So shout out to the scattered showers in South Florida. Speaking of laying on a grenade, Ryan, uh, I feel like that's what I've been doing for the past about 10 days. Got some work done in the backyard and uh, out went the back. Lower back has laid me up for the past 10 days. So we missed last week. We're back this week. We're glad to be back. That's all I can say. I'm in Tulsa. I'm John Hoover, by the way. Um, Later on in the show, we're going to hear from our recruiting analyst, Randall Sweet, who has gone to so many camps this summer. Ryan, he's earned the absolutely perfect nickname of Camp Randall. He's proud of that, too. Well, we just have to figure out, is there a way that we can – Oklahoma has an open Power 5 in 2024. I know that Maryland is all locked up, but if we could just somehow, some way, at All Sooners engineer Maryland to have an open date so that Oklahoma could travel to Maryland. Can't take Randall to Camp Randall, but it would just be really fitting, it feels like. That would be fun. Um, We're going to get to that here in a second, Ryan. Uh, Randall's going to come in in segment three and bring us the latest in the recruiting uh, situation. I got him on special assignment this week, too. We'll talk about that later in the show. Why don't we start with um, something lame? Keep the keep the listeners, keep the viewers entertained, right? We'll start with the lame stuff. Big 12 Media Days is coming up in about two weeks. Holy crap. Literally two weeks. Uh, July 12th and 13th there in Arlington at AT&T Stadium. Raise your hand if you're looking forward to Big 12 Media Days. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a grind. New, it's an absolute grind. New look, new feel, same yeah. league. Uh, yeah, it, it is. Uh, I, I can't wait. It will be the same feel. Our audio inside Cowboys Stadium will get gobbled up because it is such a large environment. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you right now on the YouTube, uh, we will get the – Where's the audio for the questions? Just like, well, the Big 12 doesn't set it up for us to have audio for the questions. We apologize. Well, like, oh, maybe oh. Brett Yormark is changing that this year. We got a new commissioner. Maybe, maybe we got a new way of uh, doing things, right? Oh. Maybe. Here, here's what the likelihood would be: uh, the podium's going to be the same in the end zone, and we're actually just going to have to watch it from the press box as far away as they can get us from the field, because that's what Brett Yormark does as far as his changes for media. Yeah, Big Twelve uh, basketball media put you up in the uh, put you up in the rafters and make you watch it from up there. I am kind of looking forward to seeing uh, some of the changes that they're going to implement. Of course, there's 14 teams this year. The email we got from the conference office, conference PR office, in February, the one that recaps the season and has all your awards and your 
all Big 12 teams and your All-American teams and your Heisman and all that stuff. You get all the bowl games in. It comes out in February. The one we got in February said, here in the save the date, Big 12 Media Days, July 12th and 13th, all 14 teams will be available both days. That's apparently not going to happen now. They sent out a tweet yesterday, a series of tweets that said, day one will be these seven teams and day two will be these seven teams. It's like, I thought we had two full days of Oklahoma Sooner coverage, but it's going to be what it always is. Seven teams on one day, seven teams on the next day. I'm okay with that. OU representatives, I bet you guys could probably guess three of them. I was a little surprised by the fourth. Uh, one, Daniel Stutzman. I believe he's a linebacker for the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, quarterback Dylan Gabriel, of course. Drake Stoops, team spokesman. You knew that was coming at some point in his career. And then Jonah Laulu is the fourth member of the uh, press corps representative, I guess. He's going to show up at Big 12 Media Day. What do you make of that, Ryan? What do you make of uh, Stutzman? Obviously, he's going to be fun. Gabriel, is going to. we're going to get a lot of uh, kind of coach speak, quarterback speak from him, a lot of even keel stuff. Stoops might tell some funny stories. He, he's been known to pull back the curtain a little bit, and I can't frankly think of maybe one time just one time that we've talked to Jonah Laulu, maybe two, maybe two. A lot of post-game stuff for Laulu where you were in with Brent Venables and oh, I was yeah. kind of chilling out with Jonah. So I think you may have missed those. I remember good conversations with him in Nebraska. But, again, that's kind of when very inside baseball, the press conferences all run at the same time. Yep. So I don't get to a lot of FaceTime with Brent while you're in there and we're out and about. But uh, Jonah, big character. The way I looked at it is, like, we're going to get all business, very buttoned up, a lot of coach speak from the offensive half uh, of things for Oklahoma. And who knows where the defensive press conferences are going to go when you get Danny Stutzman, Jonah Laulu. Uh, But we saw last year, like, right off the top, Ethan Downs as a sophomore was sent. I don't think that how Brent Venables selects the guys for Big 12 media day, it's like a big indicator, like, oh, here's your starters, anything like that. It's just guys that he trusts that have worked their butts off in spring practice and in the summer workouts today and guys that he thinks that will be great representatives in front of a microphone for, for Oklahoma. So Laulu's going to be – he's just a fun guy to talk to. He'll have a lot of insight about things going on around him on the defense. But as he moves kind of to the interior and Oklahoma continues to add those guys, um, I'm not sure it's a, wow, watch out for Laulu to be a huge piece. as much of a veteran guy, works hard, does what he's asked, including a position change. And, and so I think you're going to get that there. My hope and dream for this, John, is simply this. Oklahoma, we know, loves to, and rightly so, use Danny Stutzman in a lot of their behind-the-scenes stuff because he is quite the character, all that. Uh, Danny Stutzman needs to be unleashed on the rest of the Big 12, and I don't mean taking people's heads off, things like that. If Danny Stutzman is not meandering about the breakouts as well, trying to – get the exclusive from other members, the other six teams going on day two, then what are we even doing? We are wasting his true talents in a media day set. Yes. Agreed. He needs to be the lead interviewer for whoever is being brought by all those other teams for sure. Heck, make him, make him come on day one, bring him on <laughs> I, day one, fly him in special to do some media day stuff. Cause he's going to be a media star. One of these days, Stutzman and Sark the sit down. They call it Stutz cuts. It's a great, it's a great name. Cuts with studs. It's uh, it's pretty big time. Shall we talk transfer portal, Ryan? Um, Sooners lost one this week. 
what the crap? Where's this stuff coming from? Let's go back to last week. We missed last week's pod, so we have to recap. Uh, Derek LeBlanc. Derek LeBlanc, we hardly knew ye. You were uh, you were in town for about uh, five months, enrolled early out of high school in uh, Florida. Looked like you were having a good spring. Things were happening, and then uh, spring is over. June gets here, and Derek LeBlanc, defensive tackle, says four star defensive tackle, says uh, I got to go back home. Circumstances and situations is the way he kind of phrased it in his tweet. Um, he had to go back home. He had to take care of some business, be closer to family. Got to respect that. Um, you know, he's he's not selfish. He's he's a giving person apparently. That's uh, giving himself uh, and his availability, making himself more available to family. Um, he's going to play somewhere else. He's going to play college football somewhere else. Um, so, but still. I think that's the first time Oklahoma has been stung. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the first time they've been stung by an incoming freshman who left before the season even got here. Yeah, I, I can't remember many of those that were actually not just at all, but guys that were like, hey, this was supposed to be the anchor of your interior defensive line in that class as far as that goes. And so I wasn't expecting LeBlanc to be a huge contributor in 2023 as evidence like we talked about by Oklahoma saying, are you in the transfer portal? Did you play interior defensive line? Would you like a roster spot? I think the Sooners are going to try and suit approximately 150 guys this fall yep. based on what they continue to do. So it, we saw the statement. He goes back home to UCF, which is just 30, 35 miles-ish from his right. high school campus. That makes all the sense in the world. But now it, it's, again, Oklahoma's relying on a lot of Band-Aids on the interior of that defensive line, which – for 2023 can be fine, but everyone knows this team's not building for 2023. They're building for 2024. We have the SEC schedule. We know what the the matchups are going to be, and you can't succeed in that conference if you're not able to, A, get elite defensive linemen, and then, B, keep them around to develop those guys so you can start to build depth. We're, we're seeing that a little bit at the defensive end spot, really like what we saw in spurts out of R. Mason Thomas last year before the hamstring, P.G. Adebore, very excited to see what he can do. LeBlanc was supposed to be the start of those dominoes on the interior and him heading out before we even get to see, like we got to see what, a couple of practices at the Cheez-It Bowl, spring practice, spring game. That's the end of the Derek LeBlanc Oklahoma story uh, until he has like seven sacks in Norman. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's going to Big 12 rival – UCF, right? I mean, he's still in the Big 12, which is just sounds weird to me, of course, because I'm an old man and I'm not used to change like this. Um, but he's one of those guys that was going to they, – they got they, – they lost so many in the portal this year. They had to jump into the portal with both, both feet and say, we need you and we need you and we need you. You know, all these guys, uh, Jacob Lacey, um, there's, there's talk that he might not be able to play this year. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, Trace Ford from Oklahoma State, defensive end. There's talk that uh, he won't be a big contributor because of his history of injuries. So you're starting to feel like, okay, you went out and got Rondell Bothroyd from uh, from Wake Forest. You got Devon Sears. Um, there's talk of uh, of guys that are okay. We got all these transfer portal guys. Maybe they're not going to be as get as be able to get as many or contribute as many snaps as we thought. So the coaching staff has spent the early part of the summer going out and getting more transfer portal guys. We talked about Dejon Terry, I think, in the last pod. 
the one we didn't talk about is uh, Philip Paya. Philip Paya started his career at Michigan, played four years there, only got into like three games in his career at Michigan, transferred to Utah State, played last year, played three games before an injury. Now, Philip Pye is a guy that's in Oklahoma for his officially seventh year of college football. He's he's wanting some snaps. He's wanting to come in here and contribute. And the more guys like Derek LeBlanc who come in and say, I can do this, and then look around and say, mm, I might have a better chance of doing it somewhere else, the more you're going to see guys like, and I hate to call them retreads, but that's kind of what a lot of these guys are, um, is guys who've had a lot of opportunity elsewhere coming into Oklahoma and saying, this is my last opportunity to play college football. I want to see how big time it could be. Well, whatever you want to label of John, if Terry and Paya come in and have unreal years in our first round draft picks, like it's not going to happen, but like, even if that happens, guess what Oklahoma's going to have to do next year, next portal at the end yeah. of bowl games and stuff. Go find a bunch of defensive linemen on the interior who, guess what? Now you got to be able to play SEC football, not – go up against Big 12 offensive lines. Like, that is the issue, that even in the dream world, best-case scenario, you you drew your inside straight, whatever you want to label it, you can't sustain that period, like transfer portal window over window over window. At some point, you're going to have to start building. And, that, and that's what the hope was, that these Band-Aids would be able to cover the holes until – Todd Bates and Brett Venables can really start to hit the recruiting trail and build that depth as far as guys that they like that will be at Oklahoma for three, four, five years working under Jerry Schmidt, all that. Yep. That's what, like, LeBlanc, again, we mentioned it. He was supposed to be the the first piece of that on the interior. Now you got some other guys that could turn out to be big players, but he was the one that had the the athletic ceiling that was way higher than, than the rest of those guys on the interior. Yeah, uh, Ryan might as well just said, David Stone, where are you at? He's a, he's a program changer, changing type of guy. Williams Moneri, where are you at? You know, these are guys that can come into Oklahoma, be three-year, four-year starters, or, or at least big-time contributors, rotational guys early in their careers, make an immediate impact, sack the quarterback once in a while, get the crowd going once in a while, recover a fumble, force a fumble, something like that. Those are the guys that are going to eventually help Brent Venables change this, not transfer portal guys who are – you know, injured at multiple schools and trying to get one more shot at Gloria. I'm not saying that's what they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is necessary, but what they're doing is stopgap. It's like patching your tire. You don't you don't go hit the highway for a road trip on a patched tire. You got you got to get a new tire in there, new tread, and you're going to be able to drive on it for a long time. That's college football, especially defensive linemen. That's my opinion. Uh, keep in mind, OU's got three defensive linemen coming back next year who started last year co grinds and down so they've got the the pieces in place now you bring in some some other guys that can come in and fill some gaps somewhere take some you know you know they can play so maybe they can take some reps take some important reps because we saw the linebackers last year three guys with almost a thousand snaps um can't have that happening on the defensive line you need these transfers especially to pan out on the defensive line okay um, and no biggie, right? Uh, just reach in and grab some depth because that might be what they want to do with this week's transfer portal exit, Aaron Parks. He was a depth guy. He was uh, he hadn't played much. Uh, I think he played a handful of games last year. Uh, but he came in in the Cheez-It Bowl against Florida State against an All-American by the name of Jared Verse. 
when uh, Sexton got hurt, tore his ACL, like the what third play of the game or something like that, Parks comes in. Now, Dylan Gabriel, I think, got sacked five or six times in the bowl game, so but those were not all on Parks. But Parks came in against a really good Florida State defensive line, held his own, I thought, and was projected from that point to be a guy who was going to be in the rotation, who's going to get some snaps, who's going to be at worst a backup. He's in the transfer portal now. He left. That is a total, Ryan, of seven guys just since the end of spring practice. Yeah, the, the weirdest part about the Parks thing is that the, I have the calendar in front of me, John. The portal window is not open right now. That's true. Uh, so I, he I may have graduated. Know. I don't know for sure. I looked all over for a list of OU athletes who graduated. Couldn't find one, but he may have graduated. Yeah, so that that's what you're looking at there. I think what this is showing, he's a guy that, uh, you know, we coming through spring football, stuff like that, we start to put our list together in the back of our mind of, hey, once spring football ends, do we need to be, you know, asking around about these couple of guys to see if we need to be preparing for them to enter the portal, stuff like that? Here's one of those guys on that list for me, just because when you look at, okay, he was the second option, which makes really made him the third string last year. Because, yep. again, remember, the only reason Sexton was starting that cheese at bowl was because Harrison was gone, opted out. So then you bring in Walter Rouse, Jacob Sexton still healthy. So unless he's going and taking somebody's job, he's entering the season again in the same spot he was last year. Yep. Oh, by the way, Caden Green's on campus. Hi, how you doing? Uh, that's a guy that was kind of kind of take off. And then it becomes the question of if Parks and Green were the exact same, I think everyone would say you should probably go with the younger guy and invest in him who will be here longer. So – it's one of those things that Parks had competed for a couple of years and hadn't made really a ton of headway as far as getting onto the field. So if he was content to come in and, and try and fight for some snaps, stick around. If he wants to go try and find somewhere to start for his last couple of years of college football, hit the portal and, and test those waters. So I think that makes perfect sense. I don't think it's a huge loss until you start worrying about depth and things like that. But uh, I'm not sure that that's what Oklahoma – like if, if you're starting to get to the Aaron Parks territory, then a lot of depth has been thrown out the window and the season is not going the way that even Bill Beadwell wanted it to go. Yeah, and the thing about this personnel-wise is I'm sure at some point Bill Beadwell and Brent Venables had that conversation with Aaron Parks. Listen, we want you to be here. We love you. We appreciate everything you've done. Uh, but if you're if you're really wanting wanting to play in 2023, you're probably going to have to play somewhere else. They probably have that conversation with a lot of guys. I don't know that for sure. But, uh, yeah, Brent Brent kind of explained a little bit of how that process works. Let's get to the break. Uh, Ryan's going to come back. We're going to talk uh, OU softball, of course, because that's the big news of the month of June, which is wrapping up. Today's the 29th. Uh, but we also got to catch you guys up on some big football headlines from last week. We didn't pod last week. We couldn't talk about it. We talked about it. We wrote about it. We posted about it. We tweeted about it, but we just didn't podcast about it. We'll get we'll catch you guys up. All that's next on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners Podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. 
To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. On Twitter, follow us at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. You can also follow us, follow Ross at Ross Lovelace and follow Randall at Randall Sweet 5. Follow him for all the latest recruiting news. He's been doing a really good job. His uh, page views are up. His traffic is up. All that stuff is doing great. So we're glad to have Randall. Our website is allsooners.com, Fan Nation Affiliate. Sports Illustrated Network, you know the drill. Uh, and we are free. No memberships, no signups, no usernames, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. We got it all right there for you, and it is all free. Simple. Allsooners.com. Okay, segment two. Uh, something we didn't get to last week, again, because we didn't podcast last week. Sorry. Sorry. I got people, like, giving me, like, little tearful emojis on Twitter. <laughs> that made me realize, okay, I need to get off my backside, literally my backside, and uh, get to podcasting because people missed our pod. They missed it, Ryan. They missed us. Yeah, they did. They did, and uh... – I was not as motivated as you were. I was like, I am happy to stay in this pool in Florida where I, I, will, I, will, I can pod from here, I guess. I should have brought my microphone. We had talked earlier in the year about taking a Hoover family vacation. You know, the empty nest is no longer empty. Both kids are back home. And we had talked about taking the four of us and going to Hawaii. That didn't happen. Instead, we uh, spent our money and our time and our resources on improving our backyard oasis. And that's why my back went out. Thank you very much. I wish I had gone to damn Hawaii now. <laughs> Here's the deal. Now you know, Big Tough Media Days, I'll have a really goofy Hawaiian shirt ready for you, Who? That way you can put it on and just, you know, uh, bring a speaker out back, make some the wave machine start rolling, and you just close your eyes. And if I, <laughs> hard, if I dream hard enough, maybe it's my own little Hawaii back here. Hey, it was uh, 2013 when we took a Hoover family vacation to Mexico and I flew back in Dallas was our, like our jump off point to get yeah. to Cancun flew back into Dallas, uh, got an Uber or something and went straight to big 12 media days, had my big 12 media days, uh, uh, suitcases and backpacks and everything. I had all my luggage with me that I needed for those two days, had my little beach hat on and everything. When I got there, man, it was fantastic. Uh, lost my beach hat later in the day, but damn. <laughs> the dream. But it's, it's happened. It's been known to happen. I'm just saying. Sorry. Right, last thing, Brett Yormark. Instead of playing games in Mexico City, Big Twelve Media Day comped obviously for all of us it, to Mexico City. Called it that. Boom. Big time. Big Sword. time. Yes. Stadium. What's it called? Stadia Azteca. Estadio Azteca. Estadio. Love it. What? Altitude on par with dinner. No, no. We'll have to get our steps in. It's like 7,000 feet. I know. It's uh, quite high uh, and polluted. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's recap what we didn't get to last week, which was the biggest headline of the summer that didn't involve Jordy Ball and a national championship for softball. And that is the SEC schedule reveal for 2024. Easy peasy, Ryan. Uh, home schedule is Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. Road schedule is Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, Mizzou. Obviously, the least fired up we are is Mizzou. 
They've played something like uh, for 90 years, they were in the same conference. Uh, OU owns like 75% winning percentage or something like that. That doesn't move the needle for OU fans. doesn't move the needle for me. You know, I'm glad to get back to Columbia. I've only been there, I think, twice um, covering a game. So that'll be fun. But when you say Auburn, War Eagle, and you say LSU, Saturday night in the Bayou, Death Valley, and you say Ole Miss, spend a whole day on the Grove, those are the kind of road trips that I'm thinking of when I when I think of OU and the SEC. Yeah, and it was kind of the uh, – I was wondering what the initial road slate would look like and all that, and then say exactly what you're saying. Wait, wait, wait. We had to go see Jordan Air, which is one of the uh, – I've only been in that stadium when it's been empty. Uh, I've been around campus in Auburn a couple of times in the summer accompanying my sister to soccer camps. But it's one of those things that, much like um, – it's a little bit smaller than Needland, obviously. But when you walk in it, the way it's just built, it, it yeah. will gobble up uh, whoever steps onto the field there. So that atmosphere is going to be a ton of fun. The Grove sells itself. We can just only hope that Lane Kiffin is still around, yep. um, kicking around, because would that set a new record for his longest <laughs> tenure in one spot if he stays through 2024? So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that the Lane train is still there. And then, I mean – Come on now, the Jello Shot Kings of the world, the Louisiana State Tigers. What else could you ask for? Death Valley, hopefully at night, year one in the SEC. That is, that one is the welcome, boys. Uh, we understand we had to move Georgia off your schedule this year, so we got to give you Alabama or Georgia. It makes more sense to give you Alabama, considering Alabama and Texas playing a home at home. I understand that at home. That's the hey, we need to make this up. The welcome to the SEC. Here's your number. Go sit down. Is the Death Valley at night? Have fun. Yeah, I have actually done all three of those stadiums on a Saturday night. Um, actually, Auburn was like two thirty kickoff, I think, and it got a little dark toward the end. But the other two games that I that I covered, I used to be the Arkansas beat writer for the Tulsa World back in the late nineties. And let me just express how much college football has grown and evolved and changed since the late 90s it's not hardly the same spectator sport that it was i was at neyland stadium when clint sterner fumbled in the final couple of minutes and they ended up blowing like a 24 7 lead uh balls came all the way back so don't get me wrong the electricity in those stadiums was phenomenal i saw arkansas take down i'm sorry uh, florida coming off a national championship and bob stoops was the dc take down Arkansas 56 to seven Javon curse had like three sandwiches in the backfield. It was, it was obscene. Um, so I've been all through the sec on the road. I've seen almost every road team in the sec and they are on another level. You heard Joe Castiglione talk about it at the regents meeting, uh, which was also last week, which we didn't get to cover cause we didn't have a stupid podcast. Um, but you heard him talk about it and how, and, and the regents, the regents at the regents meeting talked about, we have to step up. We have to be better at tailgating. We have to be better, uh, louder fans. We have to be more um, aggressive with our ticket sales. And I mean, everybody around looks at this schedule and sees Alabama coming to town, South Carolina getting better every year, it seems, under Shan Beamer coming to town. Josh Heupel and Tennessee coming to town, not you know, Butch, uh, what was it, Butch Jones? Not some, you know, rum-dum 
Tennessee coach that's just holding holding a, a place there for the next guy. But Josh freaking Heupel is coming back as a head coach in 2024. Those are those are phenomenal. And then you're going to play an SEC game at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. How's that grab you? Oh my God, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Yeah, it, it's that home schedule is. I know that there are a lot of other Big 12 fans that roll their eyes at Oklahoma and Texas fans that are like, oh, look at this, blah, blah, blah. We have to understand, OU and Texas, the best game they play every year in the Big 12 does not happen at home. They never see that game at home. It happens in Dallas and the Cotton Bowl. It shouldn't be played at home. But when you just talk about the home slate, then for Oklahoma, every other year, Bedlam, that doesn't mean there's not good games, but like Bedlam gets the fan base going. Kansas State doesn't really get the fan base going, even though they like respect that, yeah, that'll be a good game. That's not like a circle your calendars, boys. K-State's coming to town. Alabama's coming to town. Circle your calendars, boys. That thing's going to happen. Tennessee's coming to town. Put it on the calendar, right? You know what I mean? Like Those are the games that you talk about when you when you put this SEC schedule together. You add in the Josh Heupel factor there, the Shane Beamer factor. It, it, it's one of those things where you look at it and go, Yes, this is why you make the move. This is why you run the risk of not winning six straight Big 12 championships, all that stuff. What do those six Big 12 championships get Oklahoma? Something Patty Gasso – oh, sorry. Sorry, Ryan. I was going to say, like, in the grand scheme of things, for Oklahoma fans, Big 12 championships don't mean anything. It's national championship. Now, getting to Atlanta to play an SEC championship game, you motor through that schedule and you're in Atlanta, that means something, and you're going to be better prepared for the playoff and everything beyond. Something Patty Gasso said at the World Series and one of the post-game pressers was, uh, these are the games we'll remember. You know, the, the rally against uh, Florida State or Stanford, I think it was, the rally they had late to beat Stanford. These are the games that when we get together in 10 years or 20 years, these are the games that we'll talk about and laugh about and say, ooh, remember this? We're not going to remember the run rules. And so, the reason I bring that up is yesterday I was doing some research on a story and I came across this. I don't even – Ryan, it was yesterday, and I can't even remember who the opponent was. It was yesterday I looked it up, and I, but I came across this score, and it said Sooners roll 62-8 to eight or something like that. And I'm like, when did they play those guys? I don't even remember that game. I don't even remember them beating some rum-dum 62-8. But I remember those Tennessee games. I remember those Alabama games. I remember – uh, the Miami games, when they when Miami wasn't even any good, they still played good games, against, a well-won good game against Miami. You see what I'm saying? Now you're going to get that literally almost every week. You're, you know, whoever you play in conference play, they're not going to roll over and, and get beat 62-7. to seven. If you've got a national championship type team and they, they're they at a, at a, like a Missouri has got, or an Arkansas or Texas A&M or somebody like that's having a really crappy season, then maybe you might get a 50 50 to 14 type of game, maybe. But those are gone in conference play. Those are officially gone. It's non-conference now we got to talk about, Ryan. In 2024, you've got Temple and you've got Tulane. You still need two non-conference games. You still need two non-conference opponents. You're playing Temple on the 31st of August. That's when it's scheduled. And then Tulane September 14th. Again, that's when it's scheduled. Who knows if they can shift those around or whatever. Um. You're not playing Oklahoma State. Get that out of your head. Joe Castiglione expressed at the Regents meeting that that's not going to happen. They don't have any availability, and neither does Oklahoma. And if you're in the SEC, here's the deal. You have to play an additional, in addition to your eight-game and or possibly in the future, very likely, nine-game conference schedule. 
you've got to play a power five team. Now in 2024, you've got four openings. You've got, if you're Oklahoma Temple, Tulane, and then you've got two openings. One of those has to be a power five. There are two schools right now, two, who have openings, Rutgers and Northwestern. <laughs> so you're going to play, and Joe Stiglione kind of confirmed when he was asked about it. He said, yeah, there are literally a couple of teams that, that have openings. And I looked them up. That's, that's who those opponents are. Rutgers and Northwestern both play Big Ten schedules, nine-game Big Ten schedules. I think they both play UCLA in like the last game of the year or something like that. It's kind of a weird scheduling quirk in their Big Ten conference schedule. Um, how do you feel? I mean, they'll sign up an FCS for the other one, but how do you feel about Rutgers and Northwestern invading that SEC schedule in 2024? Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal, but I would expect Joe Siglione to continue to schedule the way that he has scheduled, which is a you have cupcake week to usually usually it like builds of that a, a group of five name that you recognize and a power five team. Now he won't have to go out and put Tennessee on the schedule or Georgia on the schedule. Right. Those power fives will then become mid power fives probably. But I think it's one of those things like everyone's having to suck it up in 2023 because. Um, SMU had to fill the spot for Georgia and yep. it just, it is what it is. People get it. I think that in 2024, yes, Oklahoma's going to get hammered for whatever that extra game is. But the reality of the situation is this is what happens when college football schedules, non-conference games five to 10 years out. And then on a three-year window, you change conferences and change scheduling models. So yeah. it's gonna, it's going to take a couple of years for Oklahoma to even kind of get their non-conference on. And, Here's the other thing is Oklahoma doesn't really want to plan for 2026, 2027, 27, 28, whatever, because guess what? If the SEC decides to expand to nine games, then they might reconfigure all of that too. Yep. So the 2024 non-con is not going to be fun, and it's really nobody's fault when it comes down to, like, would you have rather been in the SEC or stayed in the Big 12? Everyone knows the answer to that question, which means that you just – the non-conference, it is what it, it's just what Oklahoma can throw together. Yeah, the scheduling matrix, uh, Joe Castiglione likes to work 10 years in advance, six years in advance minimum. Uh, I think the the Clemson schedule came out 22, was it? No, 21, 15 years ahead of time. So uh, he said, yes, I like to be meticulous in my scheduling, but I also have to be nimble. And that's what he's doing. Trying to trying to make it seem like, uh, hey, we're playing a Power 5 team, but the Power 5 teams that we wanted to play, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Michigan, uh, some of those are conference games now. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, we'll move on to softball, everybody's new favorite sport here on the podcast. Uh, believe it or not, OU softball, Ryan, I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to stick my neck out, and I'm going to watch 500,000 OU softball fans chop my head off. All is not rosy right now with OU softball. You've had the, the news has been obvious. Uh, Jordy Ball leaves a few minutes later. Sophia Nugent leaves. Those were two huge stories for us. And now this week, Jocelyn Erickson leaves. You seem surprised by the uh, by the news that Jocelyn Erickson entered the transfer portal. Yeah, well, it it was weird. Of, if you had told me, John, if we had pow out in the in the press box right after the national championship game and you'd ask me what's your short list of people i was obviously a paranoid schizophrenic person telling you like this i feel crazy but this jordy ball thing seems to not go away but i said like nugent one to look at and erickson that was another one to look at 
but then you got on beyond that first wave of entries where Ball and Nugent entered on the same day, yep. a week, two weeks, and then it, it seemed to kind of all settle down. And it felt like um, people that I talked to had thought, okay, Ball and Nugent might be the only two. The move for Erickson makes sense. Your first baseman is going to be Sydney Sanders, so she's going to be bumped out to either playing in right field. Well, Patty Gasso was really confident in Torres at right field. She was going to fight off freshmen that they've got a couple of really talented freshmen in the field in this you know four woman class that's coming in. No guarantee there. I actually think the biggest hole, John. I know she was a lefty, but she could have served as Oklahoma's backup catcher. Now OU needs to find a backup catcher. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Oklahoma, at least out really, hasn't been super active so far in the transfer pool. It's been kind of odd. Uh, we saw, you know, Lauder from Stanford hit the portal. I had thought that something would fizzle. still could, but it doesn't seem like there's just a ton of movement, at least, that I've been able to track. Yeah. Um, Kern, who is the – um, freshman from Indiana who had a really good year. She hits a ton of home runs, but she's not really an option in the field, John. She had a ton of errors playing at second base as a freshman. Still good enough to be Big Ten player of the year, all that 20-plus home runs, absolutely. So that could have filled a DP spot for Oklahoma, but it really feels like still would love to see that, that roster add another pitcher. They need a backup catcher, and, and then from there – kind of going because that's what Erickson could have done. She, I know that we, we were all excited about what she had done in the non-conference, but as the year went on, she really came back down to earth. And yep. how do you guys want to talk about? It. She's someone that was still learning that, hey, this is what it takes to fight every single day in practice. And um, so, it, again, one of those things that I had thought that she was going to stay through just because of she didn't take that early, you know, option to hit the portal. But it, it's not – overwhelmingly shocking just the timing of it didn't make much sense for me yeah her uh playing time diminished um down the stretch of the season because her productivity diminished uh, ryan i looked it up since the big 12 tournament the last 10 games of the season she batted 118 jocelyn erickson did and that's tough uh she had a home run against um shoot in the uh, regional yeah what well, was it the uh the game against Missouri that she went yard. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember. It's it's left me now. I wrote like about you it. Said, right? Those games were the blowouts that all ran together. <laughs> yes, it did. Did all run together. But she started the year leading the team in batting average and home runs and RBIs and doubles, and she was unbelievable. You made reference to it. It's the college softball season is a long, exhausting, mentally draining grind, and if you're able to make adjustments as you go throughout the season. Make adjustments to your swing. Make adjustments to how pitchers are throwing you, how they start out with maybe this pitch or maybe this is what the scouting report says on that pitch. If you can make those adjustments, and then you can play and contribute at a high level at a place like Oklahoma. If what you've always done works for you and you're unable to make those adjustments, then your playing time is going gonna, is gonna to drop off. So um, I don't know. Um, you're she could have been a good option. I thought Erickson could have been a good option. She didn't catch last year at all, but she did catch previously, I'm told, in travel ball and a little in high school as well. Yeah, and 
what you had Kinsey Hansen, Haley Lee, Sophia Nugent, they're all righties. So that's also just way more common at catcher anyway. Yeah. So one of those things that that was like an emergency emergency. If you were at games and, and were really locked in a couple of times, she was the one that would roll out there. Like if right. Kinsey Hansen was the third out, um, Erickson would roll out there and catch the first couple of warm up pitches. And then as you know, Hansen came geared out or whatever, um, not sure that that would translate, but she's, she would have been an option at backup catcher. I think just the damning is probably too hard of a word, too harsh of a word, but Oklahoma didn't have a ton of righty lefty balance last year. It was pretty righty heavy. Patty Gasso, if if Jocelyn Erickson were were in any kind of rhythm, I have to believe she would have gotten a lot more at bats late in the year just to help balance out the lineup more than anything. And that still wasn't happening. So that to me was kind of the biggest red flag going through the postseason of where you really need to balance it out. So you you can't just have, you know, one pitcher hammer you if if they're good against righties. Erickson still wasn't getting those at bats. Is the portal open till tomorrow? To enter, I think, yeah, it closes tomorrow. And then same with football. You just have to have the paperwork in. You can commit all throughout July, all that stuff. Okay. Anybody else you think? Possibility? Somebody like Avery Hodge, who was a pinch running specialist, but never really got a lot of at-bats or defensive time. I I would have gone – I was looking at Hannah Core to see if she was – because she was what Avery Hodge, the role she had this year. Hannah Core had that role last year. Then she took the medical register. I had wondered – uh, but it seems like everything there, that would be pretty shocking to me if that were to happen. So, I, again, after the ball and Nugent that Monday, I, I was told by a couple of people that like they, they expected that to be the end of business as far as outgoings for the portal. Um, so uh, it it would be pretty stunning to me for, for anyone else to hit, which means, you know, I say that 5 p.m. on Thursday, there's going to be somebody else entered just because that's, that's how life goes, right? All right, good stuff, Ryan. Appreciate you joining us, man. Yeah, of course. Uh, glad to be back and around. And uh, could we just get some of that sea breeze in? I, moving on the hottest day of the year was a totally <laughs> arbitrary date of like, hey, my other lease was up on this day. Can I start this lease? Yes. Then I was looking at the weather for a week, and I was like, 105, huh? We're really going to do that. We're really going to do this. So uh, I'll, I'll be slamming some water by, between now and the next podcast. My uh, my project in the backyard remains halfway finished because it's 106 out there. I ain't going out there. I don't care if my back feels amazing. Smart It'll man. It'll be a while. Yeah. Smart man. To, uh, might, have to, might have to push it to October, Ryan. <laughs> you'll be doing the, the Red River shootout by yourself. Coming up next on the show, uh, we are heavy into recruiting season. Last week was huge. Randall Sweet's going to join us next. That's all next on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners Podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Okay, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Uh, Here's the part where I ask you guys, if you enjoy the, the All Sooners podcast, please drop us a nice rating. Five stars are preferred. Uh, please like us and share us on social media if you can, please. And uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, 
please like and subscribe and leave us a comment. Mash that subscribe button. I love that stuff. Uh, one little softball note that we didn't get to with Ryan that I thought was really cool this week. Kenzie Hansen won the Johnny Bench Award. That's badass. It just is. Uh, so OU now has the most outstanding pitcher in the in the World Series. They have the Defensive Player of the Year in the outfield. They have the Defensive Player of the Year at shortstop, and they have the Catcher of the Year behind the plate. That's what you call strong up the middle, guys, in case you're wondering. That's what baseball and softball coaches mean by strong up the middle. Okay, segment three, congrats to Kinsey. Uh, segment three, Randall Sweet has joined us. Randall, you had a couple days off. I hope it was productive. Yeah, absolutely. It was, a, it was, it was good. It was good, good. You got to go back home to Lubbock for a little while. Tell us yep. about Lubbock. You're a Lubbock kind of guy. You said you moved there in 2012. You yep. know some things about Lubbock that most of our listeners and readers don't know. And this last year was the final time for OU to go to Lubbock in conference play, at least. So uh, tell us a little bit about it. I think that Lubbock is a lot bigger than people would realize. Uh, if you're if you've never been there, you'd probably think it's just some town out in the middle of the desert. But there's really it's around 300,000 people in the Lubbock metro, so it's a it's a decent sized town. Um, they love football out there. Uh, you know, we, we were talking before the, the podcast, they, uh, they don't have the, the deepest history of tradition, but they really do get riled up. Their fans do. They make a good environment for college football out there. And you said you have no idea where the, the, uh, tortilla tradition comes from. What? No, <laughs> no I've, I've, I've never been able to get an answer on that. My, my years living there, I never, never got an answer. That's funny. Uh, well, you're going to get some answers tomorrow because you're going to be at the Baker Mayfield Pro Camp tomorrow in Norman. He uh, puts on, Baker comes back to Norman, Oklahoma, puts on a little uh, camp for kids. It's a moneymaker. It's not a charity thing, but he does, they do do scholarships where some disadvantaged kids kind of can kind of uh, get in there if they apply and that kind of thing. But it's the Baker Mayfield Pro Camp. It's closed. Don't try to run out there and enter your kid. It's too late. Uh, but but Randall's going to be out there. They do a little media session. They let the, the media folks with cameras run around, get some some images of Baker interacting with some of the coaches and some of the uh, um, celebrities that are out there. I got some great B-roll video one time, Randall, at this thing of Baker turning and handing off to Barry Switzer. And <laughs> Barry Switzer turned and pitched to Billy Sims, and Billy Sims strutted in for a, a make-believe touchdown mm -hmm. but it was cool to see those guys you know generations of Sooners interact like that and uh, Baker is a Baker does a little media session he does a little interview usually I'm not I'm going to presume that he's going to do one tomorrow what are you looking forward to the most about that well you know just hearing uh, hearing what he has to say about uh you know what he thinks about this upcoming season with the, the Sooners I've seen recently uh he said some things uh kind of put his faith in BV so interested to hear more about that and just always good to see Baker back in Norman. He seems to really, really enjoy it here. Yeah. Baker uh, is no doubt impressed this week by Brent Venable's recruiting efforts Four commitments in the past, what, nine, 10 days, something like that. A little yeah. over a week. Yeah. Um, Wyatt Gilmore, defensive end out of Minnesota, Xavier Robinson, the running back there at uh, Carl Albert, Dozy Ezekama, wide receiver out of Texas, and then James Nesta, linebacker out of North Carolina. Let's break those dudes down. Uh, tell us about the most recent one, Wyatt Gilmore, last night. Yeah, so Wyatt Gilmore, he's a four-star defensive lineman from Minnesota. He's about 6'4", 6'5", 240, 250 pounds, so already got a pretty good frame uh, as a rising senior in high school. No doubt when he gets here, they'll, they'll add to that. Um, 
he's uh, ranked the top player in Minnesota, and he had a lot of big-time offers. I mean, OU landed him over Miami, over Oregon. Um, so those are those are pretty good uh, competitors in the recruiting world. We've seen OU lose defensive line recruits to those schools, you know, recently in the past month. So to get a victory over them, that's huge. As uh, the first defensive lineman in OU's 2024 class, uh, and could be the first of what could be historic. You know, I mean, David Stone, Williams, Winery, um, you know, Dominic McKinley, tons of guys still on the board for Nigel OU to get. Smith, you know. And Nigel Smith, exactly, and so. You know, if Wyatt Gilmore is the first of all of those guys to land, then that's a pretty strong class. Uh, you know, the day before we saw Xavier Robinson come in, uh, you know, huge, huge running back. I've seen him in person now a few times, uh, not on the field, just standing next to him. And he looks like he could play in college today. I mean, no. he's a huge. 220 and every bit of that, if not more. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and you watch him play and you believe it. I mean, he just throws guys off of him, you know, just these monster stiff arms. I mean, and and for a guy that's as big as he is, he doesn't have bad speed. At least it doesn't look like it on film. Uh, and sorry. No, go ahead. Um, some interesting stuff about him. Uh, you know what? We'll we'll just talk uh, commits right now. We've got some more recruiting to talk down the line. So go ahead. Dozy Ezekama, the wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, so. Dozy's actually really interesting. His older brother was a wide receiver at Texas Tech, now plays for the Miami Dolphins. I think he was a fourth-round pick in the NFL draft. Um, so, you know, it's always good to have guys with uh, that bloodline on your team. It usually, uh, usually is a pretty good indicator that they've got, uh, he's got some potential. I think he's listed at 6'3 already. Uh, he's about to be a senior. So uh, we've seen in the past at uh, Jeff Levy's previous stops that he loves these big-bodied, you know, outside receivers and you know Dozy as a comma he came to the Brent Venables camp he kind of showed that even as big as he is he can move around pretty well and kind of fill that role that um that that Levy and Emmett Jones like uh, and he got an offer there and I think he committed a week less than a week later so uh, he was obviously very impressed I believe his brother Eric as was coached by Emmett Jones at Texas Tech and so the family seems to have a pretty good relationship with uh with Coach Jones and with OU already, um, he—I I believe he even gave the quote that he wasn't planning on committing as early as he did, but when he was here, it just felt right. Yeah, sometimes you just know, right? Yeah, yeah. I—I uh, I forgot to mention with Xavier Robinson, this is a guy who in five A football last year ran for almost twenty six hundred yards and forty touchdowns. Yeah. Um, so with the size, with the production, it's hard to to uh, to say no to a guy like that. Top five guy in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, a lot of people say that he could be ranked higher if he, you know, played in in other other states. That he's not getting the respect that he deserves, uh, recruiting wise. But it's a huge pickup for Oklahoma, first running back in the twenty twenty four class. Right, and OU fans love their running backs. Uh, in high school, as a junior last year, he averaged nine point four yards per carry, and in the playoffs, two hundred and ten yards per game. Yeah, so nice. he's a hell of a player. And now playing with Kevin Sperry. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in just a second. That's amazing. What a, what an unbelievable team. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the fourth and, I guess, first commitment of the group, though, was James Nesta, 6'4", 210-pound linebacker. You know, from from what we've seen on film, just looks like the prototypical uh, linebacker build that these that Brent Venables, that uh, Ted Roof, this defensive staff loves. Um, 
flies around, loves to hit people from the, the film, and uh, a guy who's going to play football and baseball at OU. He's supposed to be pretty talented in, in, on the diamond as well. That's a pretty good haul. Uh, I want to um, I want to pull this apart a little bit, Randall, and that is there's there's been a little bit of panic, a little bit of uh, maybe alarm, not panic, but alarm might be a better word, setting in on the on the behalf of uh, Sooner fans who are saying, why is Brent Venables getting worked in recruiting by everybody? Clemson, uh, you know, just just name the the number of, of teams that uh, have signed somebody or sorry have gotten commitments from somebody that Oklahoma is recruiting and it's happening. Okay. It's happening in um, let me see if I got this right in March of this year, Oklahoma got one commitment in the 2024 class, one commitment in April. They got five. All right. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good month in May. They got zero. And now in June, we're 29 days through June. They've got four. So you're starting to see that momentum flip. You're starting to see that momentum change. Yes, it's true. They went completely barren in the month of May. But guess what? Guess what they did last year? The 2023 class, which ranked in the top five or six, depending on who you follow nationally, top 23 class, they had one left over from 2021. That was Josh Bates. That was Lincoln Riley's only commit that that uh, actually signed then they got two in january and that was uh jackson arnold and eric mccarty okay so they go into february and they've got three guys committed they went scoreless in march they went scoreless in april they went scoreless in may the first five months of the season they had three guys committed if my math is right then in June, they landed five guys, and in July, they landed nine guys, and in August, they landed two guys. So they went from three to, uh, what is that, 14, 15, 16, plus three, 19. They went from three to 19 in three months over the summer. So everybody slow down. There's no reason to panic. This is how Brent Venables recruits. And he tells those guys, he tells them emphatically, and he told us this at his very first press conference, and he told us this throughout all last year, do not commit. He held his hands up and he pumped the brakes and he said, do not commit. If you're not sure, don't commit because I don't want you to commit to me and then go visit somebody else. If you go visit somebody else, I'm pulling your offer. That has happened a handful of times already, two or three times, I think. So Brent Venables is laying that laying that example down to kind of express listen come visit oklahoma come to my camps come do all this stuff take as many visits like wildenwary at one area as you want uh, i think he's up to six visits now but he hasn't committed so he's getting those guys in he's showing them around and then when the time is right which is historically speaking at least last year the summer which goes through august um, that's when the OU is going to get their commits. So I think everything is kind of unfolding according to plan, at least Brent Venable's plan. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, we've seen multiple uh, recruits set commitment dates, uh, you know, in the coming months, multiple guys that OU is going to be very heavily in the mix for. Uh, you know, there's a few guys who haven't even announced commitment dates that we also expect OU to be heavily in the mix for. Um, so like you said, no need to panic. You know, let's wait till August rolls around. Let's wait till the season comes and then see where things stand. 
You know, my favorite thing about uh, Xavier Robinson's um, recruitment is that um, he was in a car on his way to a visit, an official visit, I'm sorry, unofficial visit to Iowa State. And he was in a car with two of his high school teammates. And Jeff Lebby and Brent Venables called and offered the, all three guys a scholarship while they're going to visit Iowa State. That's pretty savvy. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how you recruit in-state right there. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. So all three guys were, like, driving down the highway, like, wow, uh, that's great, Coach. Thanks. It was cool. They, they, both, they all three expressed kind of a chill moment, but at the same time, when they hung up the phone, the parents were in the car with them, and they were just like, wow, guess what just happened? Oh, that's amazing. And everybody was talking about it the whole trip. So you go to Iowa State to take your visit, and you've got one thing and you're reeling back in your mind, and that's that phone call from Preventables. So savvy, so smart, so sneaky. Uh, a lot of respect there for doing it that way. That's, that's, uh, it was Kevin Sperry was on it, was in uh, on his visit to, uh, to Texas when Jeff Levy called and offered him. I mean, it's a good strategy. Oh, yeah. I was going to say almost like there's uh, some planning there. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 I don't think those are by accident. Those, that's uh, that's what you call – I'm sure the other coaches that they're visiting don't appreciate it, but at the same time, I'm sure those guys are not above doing that. Let's talk running backs as long as we're talking about Robinson. They are hard after Caden Durham, and they are hard after Taylor Tatum. Tatum is the number one running back in the class in the country. What? What did I just say? They're going to sign three running backs, or they're going to try to sign three running backs? We'll see what those guys eventually do. But Randall – Three running backs, that's incredible. Yeah, they, it uh, looks like it's definitely possible. I would say that they, I mean, with one already in the boat, I would say that they firmly lead for one more and then are, you know, and that, that being Taylor Tatum. And then I would say that right now with LSU, it seems like at least, uh, you know, I don't want to speak in absolutes, but it seems like it's really a tight battle between OU and LSU for, um, for Durham. And, you know, like you mentioned, three running backs. That's uh, that never really happens. Um, in you know, we we've researched and found that that's um, the last time that happened coming out of high school was 2012. The last time they signed three running backs in a class in general was 2017, and that was uh, Brooks, Thurman, and Marcellus Sutton. Um, so, you know, this is, you know, historic territory that we're treading in, and especially with the quality of these three backs, that would really make it, you know, historic. Um, Durham and Taylor Tatum, those are two top 10 running backs in the class. You know, we, we've covered Robinson already. Uh, and so if you're able to bring in those three backs, then, um, you know, that would certainly make for the top running back class in the country. And, uh, you know, Robinson even spoke about that after his commitment. Uh, he said that, you know, all three of those guys, himself, uh, Durham and Tatum, are all unselfish and mature players, and that uh, they could make it work. Uh, you know, sharing the rock, things like that. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Xavier doesn't plan on playing like a fullback or an H back or something like that, but he's athletic enough and big enough and strong enough that he could do that at a place like Oklahoma. That's just one possibility. The other possibility is that you sign three running backs because you want three running backs. They did sign three in 2012, David Smith and Alex Ross out of high school, but Damian Williams was a Juco prospect mm. that they signed. The last time they signed three high schoolers at the same position at running back, I should say 2003, 
20 years ago now. 12, it'll be 21 years ago next uh, signing day. So that was Tayshard Choice, Jacob Gutierrez, and Courtney, T- Courtney Tenniel out of uh, local kid out of uh, Glenpool, Jacob Gutierrez out of San Antonio, and then Tayshard Choice out of Georgia, um, who finished his career at Georgia Tech and played for the Cowboys for a little while. So those were uh, those were three good running backs as well. Um, I don't know if they were as good as these three guys. We shall see. Uh, what's the latest you're hearing from uh, from the fallout from Champion Barbecue, just in terms of guys going there last uh, weekend before last now and coming away kind of blown away or they were impressed or they um, loved the food or they loved uh, Toby Keith's hangar or whatever it was? Uh, what's the latest you heard from that? Well, uh, you know, the, these four guys that we've seen commit were all products of the Champion Barbecue, so I think that's a huge, huge sign that uh, it went pretty well. Um, I talked to Isaiah Autry. He said the food was delicious. He said that the uh, it was a great hangout. Um, Nigel Smith kind of echoed the same thing. He said that um, you know it was really good to just get to talk to the coaches, kind of have a, a nice, relaxing weekend there. Um, but, you know, Taylor Tatum was another guy that was there. Caden Durham was another guy that was there. You know, David Stone. So these big-time targets who, uh, you know, um, Devon Mitchell, these big-time targets who are set to decide soon, um, they were all there, and apparently they were all pretty impressed by it. Um, David Stone's been back on campus since then, uh, so that seems like a pretty good sign yeah. uh, that something went right there. Uh, and, you know, James Nesta, he said that OU even received a few silent commitments at the barbecue. Uh, it looks like we've seen a few of those play out now, but uh, you know there may even be a few more on deck to, to come in the before the summer's over. Let's talk to Vaughn Mitchell real quick, Randall. Um, Los Alamitos from Texas. He's playing this year, senior year at Los Al, out in California. Um, he's the best tight end in the country, all that, right? Um. Right down the road is a couple of three-star tight ends at Washington High School, including Cooper Alexander, who committed last week to Iowa State. A lot of fans around here said, wait a minute, what? We thought we had Cooper Alexander. His dad played here, was a big-timer. They're local. They live here. They love OU. They go to the games. He's going to Iowa State? That happened, and now you've got Devon Mitchell, who is really getting in with Miami, apparently, reportedly. Goes down there, takes a look around sees what he likes, likes what he sees. What happens if they they have put all their eggs in the Devon Mitchell basket for tight ends at a position where they are losing some players this year and don't have any depth behind those guys that they're losing because of injuries? Devon Mitchell goes to Miami, theoretically, hypothetically, right? What the heck? What do they do with Cooper Alexander? Throw the throw the bag at Cooper Alexander? Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like, a, it's like well, he's a three-star tight end. We sure could have used him, but we're going to go after this big-time guy. The big-time guys go somewhere else. you got to go crawling back to Cooper Alexander or whatever your backup plan is. I, that's a tough one. Yeah, it, it is a tough situation. You know, they don't have any tight end commits in the 24 class. Um, you know, you have to think that uh, – had they offered Cooper Alexander earlier, maybe they would have had a better shot uh, at landing him. But, you know, um, being an in-state kid, the like you said, that battle may not be over. I mean, obviously he's committed, but you never know until they sign the dotted line, right? Um, and so if Devon Mitchell doesn't end up being a Sooner, then, uh, you know, you will need to pivot somewhere else in the 24 class just to get someone on board to get some more depth in that tight end room. Uh, you know, right now, even on the 
current roster, it's a big question mark. You know, we've got Stogner there, who's um, we know what Stogner is at this point in his college career as a player. Um, but besides him, there's not very many proven players in that room, uh, and so they they definitely OU definitely hopes that they can land Devon Mitchell uh, to kind of remedy that. If not in the 2025 class, maybe that's a pivot to Chase Lofton, who came to the Brent Venables camp, picked up an offer there. He's also a 2025 tight end. He's uh, been really picking up some steam. He's got an offer from Kansas State, Nebraska, Illinois since coming to Brent Venables camp. So maybe he's a guy they pivot to if Mitchell uh, falls through. But I know that right now they're really hoping they can can, uh, land a commitment from him. And uh, I believe he's he's planning to commit on July 8th. Yeah, July eighth is his is the day that he's picked. Um, if he goes to Miami and Cooper Alexander goes to uh, Iowa State, and you've got Nate Roberts also at Washington High School, who has committed to Notre Dame, that's some real talent you had kind of in your grasp right there. And I know Jeff Levy wants tight ends in this offense. They're a pivotal piece, as you saw from Braden Willis last year. Uh, the amount of catches he had, the amount of blocking assignments that he did. Uh, in various parts of the field, on various plays, running plays, pass plays, quarterback run, didn't matter. Braden Willis was always that pivot point right in the center of the play, it seemed. Um, So they would like to have a tight end or two or three, but this is getting uh, getting a little weird the way this uh, recruiting has worked. Anything else uh, stand out? You know, you hear names like uh, Jay Sean Ross, and then he's – obviously looking elsewhere now. You hear a lot of names come out of uh, going, I should say, going into the summer. And some of those guys have committed elsewhere. Uh, I'm thinking of Bryant Westco as well as another one. Looks like he's going to Oklahoma, ended up going with uh, with Clemson. Uh, any other names that, uh, that Oklahoma, that stands out that Oklahoma has been recruiting or has been in on that looks like they might not be coming? Well, one tonight is uh, Caden Massey. Uh, he was at the Champion Barbecue. Isaiah Autry actually specifically mentioned him to me whenever we spoke. Um, it looks like uh, he he's going well. Doesn't, he's going to commit tonight at seven thirty. Uh, he's from Linden, Kansas. He's a huge, huge tackle. Um, but right now, it seems like he's going to be at either Nebraska or Kansas State, yep. uh, and that that's one that I know that OU fans probably won't like to lose because you know those aren't the usual heavy hitters that the Sooners are losing recruiting battles too, but, um, you know, he's a kid from Kansas. Uh, and so, you know, if he does pick Kansas state, then it's hard to, I mean, I guess it's hard to fault him for that. Grant Bricks is another offensive lineman that, uh, at one point people thought maybe coming to OU, but, uh, right now it seems like he's kind of trending in other directions. Um, Casey Poe was another lineman that he still has a chance at, but you know, he's, uh, He's taking a visit to Alabama, and it seems like he really enjoys it there. Um, so that's going to be a hard, a hard one for OU to win. Uh, you know, going in and beating the Crimson Tide. Uh, he's especially when they've got the last visit out of him. Um, another guy that's announcing that is announcing his commitment soon is Marcus Easley. Uh, he's got OU in his top three with Alabama and Tennessee, uh, but from what I've heard, uh, it doesn't sound very promising there for OU either. Um, so. A lot of offensive linemen that it seems like they're uh, swinging and missing on. Hey, historically speaking, Bill Biedenboe does his best work with a bunch of three stars anyway, and JUCO transfers. Right? Am I right? I mean, he'll he'll still send those guys to the league. 
Yes, he will. Uh, he doesn't have a long history of like landing five-star recruits or even high four-star recruits. It's it's interesting, and then he gets them in there, gets some I don't know humble guys, blue-collar guys, and and works them, teaches them how to work, teaches them how to build themselves, respect the game, and all that stuff, and puts them in the NFL. Simple as that. Bill Beatonbo's a wizard. Yep. I mean, one of his highest drafted players, Cody Ford, I think, what, was a three-star recruit? Yeah, most of those guys, Orlando Brown and so on and so forth, were three stars. Yep. Yep. Uh, am I forgetting to ask about anybody? Am I overlooking anything? Is there anything else coming up that we need to know? Mm, well, uh, Michael Patterson McDonald, he's a safety from Westmore High School. He released his top four yesterday, OU, Missouri, uh, Houston and UNLV. He also said that he's going to commit on July 31st. Seems like OU's in a really good spot there. From everything I've heard, talking to him, talking to his dad, talking to people, other people around the situation, it seems like OU's in a good spot there. Um, and obviously, he's a talented player. He's rated a four star. He's rated one of the top three players in Oklahoma. So that's obviously a guy you want to get in the building for just because he's a talented player. Yep. But aside from that, he also grew up as best friends with um, Caden Durham and David Stone. Uh, those two guys are also from the Oklahoma City Metro. They grew up playing together, uh, best friends. They're still very close. Uh, and if you can land Michael, it really seems like that would go a long way in helping the Sooners land Caden Durham and David Stone, specifically Stone, um, you know, both being defensive players. And, uh, you know, his, he's got a really close relationship with Michael. I remember whenever I went to go uh, watch one of their team camps, or maybe it was the spring game, one of those two, I can't remember. Uh, David Stone was there, and afterwards, the two of them actually went to go talk to BV. So, um, you know, their relationship, and, uh, you know, that would, be, that would be really helpful for the Sooners landing him. And again, he's a talented player. You want those guys on board. For sure. Hot take, uh, Carl Albert is going to win 5A again this year. Yeah. <laughs> Defeated last year, pounded 14 of their 15 opponents by double digits or more. I predict more pain for Class 5A as uh, Kevin Sperry has transferred from Rock Hill in Texas to Carl freaking Albert. The rich get richer in Class 5A. And uh, here's the good thing. OU fans who live in the metro area or live in somewhere near central Oklahoma, they can catch – the future quarterback's games because he's going to be playing right up the street at Carl Albert. Pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, now OU's got five offers on Carl Albert's team. Two of them are committed to OU. Got to like the the chances to land the other three now with two on-campus recruiters essentially at Carl Albert. What did uh, Kevin Sperry tell you about his decisions or what have you learned about his decision? To, it was a huge family decision, obviously, and, and he talked. Uh, he told me, it was about culture and it was about fit and it was about tradition and doing the work that's necessary to make the commitment to win a program like Carl Albert does that. And it gets him closer to OU. He can go spend his uh, Sundays down at OU watching film with his future teammates. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They, they said it felt like home here. Um, you know, they didn't want to leave, which from your future quarterback commit, that's uh, something you want to hear. And um, in the recent uh, rivals 250 update for the 2025 class, Kevin Sperry was actually included in the top 250. Uh, he's a four-star recruit. So, uh, you know, now playing with a better team at Carl Albert than he was at Rock Hill, he's got to like his chances to even, you know, increase, uh, continue to rise in the recruiting rankings. I could really see that this year. Um, Xavier Robinson mentioned their offensive line. I think they've got a bunch of guys coming back. He's got good receivers, obviously a great backfield with Xavier Robinson there. So I think 
they'll have a great year. We're uh, we're going to be season ticket holders uh, for Carl Albert this year for sure. We're going to get some video. We're going to present it to you guys. We're going to get some post game interviews. We're going to bring those to you guys as well. Can't wait to watch those dudes play. Uh, Randall, enjoy the Baker Mayfield Pro Camp tomorrow. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. I'll get to talk to Baker. That'll be fun. And I want to thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. You can catch that one and all of our shows. Wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, anywhere. Um, If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just ask your Alexa. Play the All Sooners podcast. She'll do it for you. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player. Listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Media. For Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet, I'm John Uber. See you guys.